Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. This is your host, Bart Carroll, along with Shelley Mazanoble and Trevor Kidd. In today's episode, we'll speak with Richard Baker, lead designer on the recent D&D adventure, Princes of the Apocalypse. We'll also speak with Pendleton Ward, creator, writer, and producer of Adventure Time, joined by R&D's Chris Perkins. Richard Baker has been a prolific game designer with credits on Dungeons & Dragons, including many of its campaign settings, Gamma World, and Axis and Allies miniatures, as well as author of such fantasy series as The Last Mythal and Blades of the Moon Sea. With Sasquatch Game Studio, Rich served as lead designer for Elemental Evil's featured adventure, Princes of the Apocalypse. So first of all, welcome to the podcast, Rich. Hey, it's great to be here. Uh, thanks for joining us. And as we start with a very general question, you've had quite a long uh, experience with Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, we would always like to ask our guests how they actually got started playing the game. Uh, I started playing D&D, I think, uh, back in 1978. Uh, my very first uh, D&D product was the uh, old blue box, the one that had the... Uh, uh, the red dragon on the cover, but of course it was all blue and white, so you couldn't tell what color it was. Um, and it might have come with uh, the dice that actually had the uh, the little wax crown, so you could kind of fill the the numbers in. Oh, um, good times! Oh yeah. Um, but I had uh, I had seen uh, some kids at my local uh, hobby store uh, uh, playing D and D, and of course been wondering what are they doing with graph paper and pencils, and look. Look at this book. It was uh, the Monster Manual, the you know first edition of Monster Manual with all the crazy critters on it. And I, I was on the cover, and, and I, I was just hooked, right? I was like, man, i, I got to find out what this is, and i got to try it out. So uh, just out of curiosity, I know we've got a strong military interest in the game. Uh, did you ever have a chance to play while you were uh, in the Navy? I, I, I played a fair amount in college, um, but actually I did not get much uh, playing in, in the military. I mean, on occasion, like, uh, you know, every now and then I'd get a weekend uh, game in with, like, you know, some buddies of mine. But, but as far as guys who have actually talked about being able to play on the ship or play on their post, no, I never, I never actually had a chance to do much of that. I, I imagine maybe some of the military experience might have translated later on into adventure design, game design. Uh, certainly I was able to call upon uh, uh, quite a lot of my military experience for uh, different uh, uh, modern games or, or military-themed games I designed. Um, uh, for example, uh, being in the Navy, uh, when I worked on Axis and Allies naval miniatures, uh, you know, I, I had a pretty natural understanding of, of, the, of the subject material. Might be relevant there. Yeah. Just, a, just a little bit. <laughs> well, uh, I, I did find some uses for uh, my... During my time in the Navy, I had a chance to uh, fire a whole bunch of different small arms because I was involved with different... Uh, uh, security teams for my ship. So I've had a chance to, for example, fire a machine gun, fire a grenade launcher, shoot rifles, pistols, stuff like that. So anytime I ever worked on a modern game, I, I could kind of call on that experience a little bit and say, oh, yeah. wow, you know what? I am a terrible shot with a machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> so, so should everybody else be. That's all we're saying. Well, I would not want to be stuck on a Navy ship with a dungeon master who just killed my character. So it's probably... A little awkward. Good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess like if, if, it's you, good, you didn't if you're not on a ship, you probably go someplace else a little bit. But well, ship might be tough. So, so let me ask then, how did you sort of enter the field from, uh, from college and the Navy and then you became a professional game designer? How did you make that leap? 
Uh, well, in, in 1991, um, yeah, it was, it was that long ago, uh, I decided to go ahead and uh, finish up my uh, active tour in the Navy and uh, get out and try the civilian uh, world. I was uh, active duty for three, three years, and I was about to get married, uh, and I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm ready to, to go try and do something else. So as part of you know, uh, getting out of the Navy and, and looking around for what I was going to do next, I sent resumes out all over the place, right? You know, I must send a hundred resumes out to different companies looking for what I was going to do next. And, and literally for the pure hell of it, I sent a resume to TSR Incorporated in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, because I thought, you know, d and pretty cool. Maybe they, maybe they need some help. And, and darned if they didn't uh, write back and say, okay, sure. It turns out they were actually looking for some designers at that time. Uh, so they sent me back uh, a design test, which consisted of uh, a complete Vikings handbook and the challenge to write a 2,000-word encounter using that material. Uh, I looked at that and I said, hey, you know what? I'm, I, I'm already up a complete Vikings handbook. <laughs> <laughs> I've been awesome. paid. <laughs> so already, already ahead, but let's go ahead and, 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 you know, and write out this encounter. So I, I wrote a nice sample encounter um, you know, based on that material and sent it in and they liked it well enough that uh, they brought me in for an interview and, uh, you know, the, the rest is history. I started with TSR in uh, October of 1991 and uh, stayed with them through the move from Wisconsin out to Seattle and the acquisition by Wizards. And I was at uh, Wizards until December of 2011. So you had no experience writing an encounter or an adventure or anything before your interview. Is that true? Uh, that, that is true. I, I totally came in over the transom, um, didn't know anyone in the business, hadn't published professionally. And in fact, when I later uh, was in a position to, uh, to be one of the guys uh, going out and trying to hire new people to come in, into uh, the creative department, uh, I made a real effort to try to figure out ways to reach people who otherwise might not know we were looking for them. Because I thought about you know, how I'd come into the business you know, really kind of out of the blue and said, man, if there's a guy out there who's me, but just 10 years later, let's try and make sure we can find him. Yeah. That's crazy. So we go from Vikings Handbook all the way up to now with Princes of the Apocalypse. But Princes of the Apocalypse is a callback to our original Temple of Elemental Evil stuff. And everybody seems to have a story about, about that. Uh, do you have any cool stories about your original encounter with uh, the Temple of Elemental Evil? Well, you know, uh, playing uh, starting D and D back in, in that time frame, uh, there were a couple things we didn't necessarily have right. So, so when I went to run uh, this great adventure, I found called uh, the Village of Hamlet for my for my friends. Uh, basically, you know, you remember the scene at the beginning of Conan where the raiders of set kind of show up at the village. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the way my my, my group uh, handled the Village of Hamlet. They just Put the whole place to the sword and looted every. I mean, and I had to say, you know, if they didn't want those people to be killed, they should have to give them hit points and and. and <laughs> you know, I that's exactly the same way we played the adventure as kids because you looked at it and those were the encounters, like just the villagers' homes and they had some treasure squirreled away. So it was like, well, what else are we gonna do? Let's just ransack everything. That's a good point. If they they wouldn't have hit points. You're all <laughs> evil people. There's people. I just want their stuff. This is why people call D and D players, or at least their characters, murder hobos, because yes. they don't they don't have homes. 
They just wander around, take people's stuff, and move on to the next place. <laughs> <laughs> kind of pretty much, yeah. So the adventure, Princes of the Apocalypse, is getting great reviews, and um, we're, we're excited to talk about it. Uh, what com- particular components might you want to showcase or uh, uh, boast about now that you've got, you've got the, uh, the, the mic? Well, um, I think the thing that I'm kind of most proud of uh, in the adventure is um, that I think it does a pretty good job of striking a balance between uh, open-world sandbox-style adventure and directed narrative. Uh, those are it, It's tough to get an adventure that does both things well um, because obviously they, they kind of work at cross-purposes. Uh, but... Uh, making sure that, that first and foremost we did something that, that was not going to drag the players through in a certain order mm-hmm. and was going to let the players really try to engage um, each of the different cults and the different locales um, in different ways and, and kind of find their own path through some, you know, plenty of hard fighting but also opportunities for some subterfuge, uh, some uh, some sneaking in, some... Uh, some diplomacy, and and at the same time, casting a backdrop of an okay. While this is going on, and while you're exploring this mystery, any way you want to explore it, here are some kind of pre-staged events that will happen that will kind of frame the story and provide you with a bit of a sense of urgency. That oh hey, things are getting worse. Uh, as I'm going in to try to figure out what's going on here, I see that there's actually some. Uh, some give and take. The adventure has a lot of built-in responses, a lot of bad guy reactions that um, I think do a pretty good job of uh, simulating a, an adventure that's really reacting to uh, the, how the players are attacking it and, and provides you with uh, a way to, to make a good story out of uh, almost any approach the players take to it. Is there a particular cult that you uh, seem to gravitate towards or one that you've had more fun writing about than others? Well, the, you know, the, the, the tricky thing about the adventure is it's a really big adventure, and as, as much as I wanted to, I couldn't write the whole thing myself. So <laughs> I, I had to pick a couple of you know, pieces and say, all right, these are the parts that I'm going to personally work on, and then I'm going to you know, get some good help in and, and let those guys deal with the other parts. Uh, so... One of the ones which I think was always kind of underrated uh, is the the water cult, right? I, I kind of felt like for for no good reason, if I'd gone to a freelancer and said, "Hey, you get to work on this, but you got to write the water cult," the guy'd be like, "Oh, oh really?" <laughs> and I don't know why that's the case. So I I wound up I, I held on to the water cult for myself, and I also took the uh, the earth cult uh, to handle the first. Uh, uh, like surface layers, the, the the first outposts that you run into, and also uh, the the parts that are kind of buried down in the master dungeon. Um, I, I took those parts on. I was originally going to go ahead and do the elemental nodes uh, for those two cults too, but as I became enmeshed in trying to uh, juggle this, did I mention very big adventure? Right. And, and lots of moving pieces. I, I had to. I had to let a couple of the other guys work on those for me, because I just was up to my eyeballs in, in trying to manage the the stuff I already had on my plate. 
So this kind of segues into the cults themselves. Yeah. <laughs> not, not only are the designers sort of working on the cults individually and collectively, uh, without giving away too many spoilers for the adventure itself, can you uh, talk a little bit about how the different cults within Princes of the Apocalypse sort of are working both at their own individual goals and sort of towards a collective goal of uh, the, the you know, destruction of the Sword Coast? Um. Boy, the, 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 the tricky thing there is spoiler. <laughs> um, one of the things that certainly can happen um, in the, the, the actual temple area itself, in which the different cults control different zones, is that um, you can fairly easily negotiate um, passage uh, from one cult's territory to another cult's territory um, if you can make a credible case for, hey, let us go get the the, the Earth guys and, and we'll we'll beat them up for you. Or let us go spy on the Earth guys and we can come back and tell you what they're up to. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's all sorts of, of ways that the players can kind of uh, play up those differences between them once they begin to realize that there are multiple cults involved and they don't always get along. Um, right. That gives a Go nice ahead. personality to the to the different cults. Like, hey, they're oh, yes. <laughs> they they have their own end evil goals, but they're not necessarily going to be fully cooperative with each other just because they happen to share that common goal. One of the uh, one of the, the places where I think uh, 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 I should say that the uh, the Watsi R and D team uh, did a really great job putting together a a broad outline and story bible for us to work from. And one element that was part of that was the uh, uh, creating the characters, the personalities of the of the the, the four big prophets. Um, that stuff that we were able to pick up with, uh, you know, pick up where where you know R and D had had left off, and and it, it was just a great set of tools uh, to to be handed, uh, because certainly when you read the different stories and get the different senses of what these four different prophets are after. Uh, there are four very different guys and uh, uh, well, people, and they they have uh, um, four very different uh, you know stories, and and they're kind of doing things in very different ways. Uh, I will say one thing that did occur to me about the idea of one cult working against another, and this this might be a little bit spoilery, so be a little bit careful with this. But um, the air outpost uh, makes no you know. It, they're doing their best to try to deflect attention, and and they will absolutely point uh, nosy priors uh, <laughs> off at a different cult to go bother those guys. And oh man, those fire cult guys—they're totally—they're uh, totally messing things up. You should go check that out. <laughs> leave us, yes. leave us alone. Big, big. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The answer to when this. We, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I, I was going to say when when we were uh, play testing uh, this uh, this adventure internally, of course, uh, uh, I have to. Uh, I have to play kind of dumb. I can't tell my playtest group anything about what I know about the adventure, uh, but we just needed some muscle. So I'm playing like a dwarf fighter. And I watch the three or four guys at our table who are not actually writing the adventure, trying to engage in this decision. And I watch them walk up to the to the air cult guys, and I watch them have a conversation with them, and I watch them totally fall for what the air, air cult's got to say. <laughs> They're like, you're right. We should take care of that. Let's look into that right now. <laughs> I'm just shaking my head. It's like, man, you guys just have sucker written all over you or something. The tagline for this 
storyline is unearth the deception. deception. Which means, no. well, you put earth in it, so of course air is fine. Like, they're <laughs> they're cool. We're, we're cool. <laughs> you can't trust anyone, which is what, what I like about it, the fact that there is a common goal, but there's also nobody wants you know, to give up their power. It's very political. That, that was my question. I was dying to ask this, and the answer might be, just be no. But going back to your days in the Navy, was there ever any similar inter-conflict between <laughs> the branches of service? Where, like, the Navy guys knew, oh, you don't want to deal with the Army guys. Isn't isn't that what everybody says about all the different, like, they all hate each other? Well, I was thinking, because we're in the throes of a House of Cards binge binge watch right now. It's very, very much reminds me of House of Cards. Um, No, we we generally got along with each other pretty well. We all recognize you're playing for the same team, so. Unlike these guys. So, no, I don't recall anything quite like that. (laughs) So Bart, I think you mentioned that this or Trevor, I don't, I don't pay attention. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> she's, she's here for herself, what, people. We're so just, we're what just what stage we dressing. What, what of you faceless voices? <laughs> what of you, you voices that I hear mentioned that this um, Princes of the Apocalypse does harken back to the original Temple of Elemental Evil. So, and Rich, for you, is it you've you've done both? Is it more of a challenge writing something that's inspired by such an iconic predecessor? Or is it more of a challenge coming up with something brand new? Or um, conversely, more fun? Um, you know, I, I, I do appreciate, uh, you know, the value of having some sort of installed recognition of something, right? right. That, that, that's what you do get for, for doing the, you know, uh, the return to the Tomb of Horrors, for example, right? Is, oh, okay, that's interesting. Tomb of Horrors, right? That was... <laughs> That was a great adventure. What are they doing with that? Um, and actually, but I didn't work on that. That was Bruce Cordell. That was the first example that popped to mind. Um, but uh, I feel that in some ways it's a lot easier to start with a clean slate uh, design-wise because if nothing else, um, you know, people out there can't tell you you did it wrong. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I meant to do it's, that. Um, no. Um, so about Sasquatch Game Studios, where you are working. So can you tell us a little bit about the studio and about some of your latest projects? That's right. We're done pimping out our cool stuff. Let's, let's talk let's, about let's you. Let's talk about your cool stuff. Awesome. Uh, well, uh, Sasquatch Game Studio is uh, uh, comprised of uh, three Wizards of the Coast veterans, um, myself, David Noonan, and Steve Schubert. Um, we organized uh, a couple of years ago because uh, I was, at the time, uh, commuting back and forth to Redmond and I had a lot of time on my car to kind of think about, uh, gosh, if I could do anything I wanted, what would I want to do? And uh, I had an idea that kind of formed in my brain uh, of doing a honest to God sword and sorcery uh, setting. And I went and corralled uh, Dave and Steve, and I said, "Hey guys, I, I think there's a, I think there's something here." And in the current day and age. Um, you know, Kickstarter gives little companies that have a good idea a, a platform to get in front of the world with. Um, so uh, we went and we kickstarted uh, the Primeval Fool campaign setting. Um, worked on it really hard for a long time, but uh, uh, it is now, I'm happy to say, uh, also uh, just hitting the game stores this month. So somehow or another, we managed to arrange it so that. Uh, Primeval Fool became uh, available in your friendly local gaming store, 
literally in the same month that uh, Elementally will Princess of the Apocalypse oh. hit the shelves. Oh, when it rains, it pours. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and it looks like uh, there's a super secret project that is coming soon as well. Uh, there is. Um, we are also working on um, a new board game uh, called Ultimate Scheme. Uh, we hope to kickstart that um, probably after Gen Con, I think is what the timing of that's going to be. But if uh, you can imagine something that sort of falls in between, oh, let's say, Lords of Waterdeep and Pandemic and Illuminati, mm-hmm. Ooh, cool. uh, with a little touch of Despicable, Despicable Me thrown in there, maybe some other <laughs> powers, okay. you've, you've, got a, you've got an idea of what the ultimate scheme might be about. Um, basically, you're a criminal mastermind or uh, mad genius, and you're uh, you know, trying to take over the world through uh, various madcap schemes. So if folks are interested in finding out more about Sasquatch Game Studio or about uh, your work in particular, I know that you are blogging pretty actively. Uh, yes. Is that the best place to find you at richard-baker? Yes. Dot blogspot. Dot blogspot.com. Yep. <laughs> and you're doing something really cool with your blog right now, right? You said that you're going back and doing a little retrospective. Uh, I am. I, I uh, uh, After uh, wrapping up my work on Princes of the Apocalypse, I decided to kind of take a step back and, and look at the adventures I'd worked on uh, over the course of my career. And I w- went and kind of looked at my credits list and counted up uh, uh, 28 adventures. So my whole blog theme right now is... Uh, 28 Adventures, Part 1, Part 2, Part part whatever, up to Part 7 as of today, Uh, and chronologically looking at each adventure I wrote and trying to just explain a little bit about what I was thinking about or um, how it came to be or uh, if I remember any good funny stories about it. Um, You know, so for example, I can kind of wax on about uh, my uh, first dungeon adventure, Prism Keep, uh, which I wrote because I discovered one year that I owed a thousand dollar tax bill, and I needed money in a hurry. <laughs> I would like to write an adventure so I can pay my taxes, please. Thank you. <laughs> well, I guess there's all reasons. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, Richard, we we appreciate your time on the podcast today. And again, if folks are interested in uh, reading more about the retrospective, it's at richard-baker.blogspot.com. And also, I do want to take uh, oh. I do want to take just a moment and and, and pimp Primeval Fool just a little bit more if you guys oh, don't sure. mind. Oh sure, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and the reason I'm excited about this is because uh, this is uh, you know I worked for many years uh, as the writer and creative director of, of books, but this is the first time I actually published one uh, from from soup to nuts, as they say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you know we had to yeah obviously you know get the get the art. Uh, 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 you know, arrange for the uh, printing in China. Uh, learn all sorts of crazy things you didn't think you didn't <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't realize you didn't know. Um, but it's a it's a really gorgeous book. We uh, the front cover is uh, a, a great painting by Todd Lockwood, who is uh, of course you know yeah. Yeah, yeah, been around forever. The the whole premise is that this is basically uh, uh, as we like to call it uh, uh, the elevator pitch is Conan versus Cthulhu. Yeah. It's uh, sort of a lost age of the earth before the ice ages uh, uh, hit. Um, so it's a world where you're, you're kind of running around with uh, saber-toothed tigers and the lost uh, remnants of Atlantis. Um, uh, 
serpent men and, and, and star demons and uh, sinister magic secrets man was not meant to know. I'm um, really kind of trying to hit that, that vibe of Robert E. Howard and, and H.P. Uh, Lovecraft uh, and with a fair dash of like Edgar Rice Burroughs thrown in too. Because it turns out that, you know, in the case of like Lovecraft and Howard, those guys knew each other. They corresponded. They, they shared a lot of their, their thoughts about world building together. And that was uh, kind of the vibe we were striving for. Anyway, it's a 272-page book. It's gorgeous. It's, uh, we have it right now available uh, in the Pathfinder role-playing game, the 13th Age role-playing game, and uh, even the 4th edition uh, Dungeons & Dragons role-playing game. So uh, it's in your friendly local gaming stores right now. And, and man, it would be great if you'd go and tell people how much you want it. <laughs> well, we've got it all on the podcast now. <laughs> that sounds like oh, something for everyone. I, yes. That sounds really cool, Rich. Congratulations. Yes, congratulations on that well, release. Thank you. And for Princes of the Apocalypse as well, of course. Yes. Yeah, it, I, I have to say that the, the new, uh, the new like, page layout and, and, and design, uh, just, just the sheer physical design of, of the new D&D books, uh, yeah, I love them. They're, they're beautiful-looking books. Yeah, oh, I've got one right now that I'm flipping through. We will pass that on. <laughs> all right. Well, again, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Congratulations again on all the endeavors, and uh, we would love to have you back on again. We can talk a little bit more in depth about the various projects and various design history. Uh, I'd be happy to come back on. And we, we can talk about it. you being on Jeopardy because yeah. we didn't get to we talk did, about that. We didn't that. talk about you on Jeopardy this time. <laughs> You could have a whole podcast about that. <laughs> it it a, is an interesting experience. You are a man of many, many talents. All of our questions would be in the form of answers. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure he would love that. This week, Pendleton Ward has been here touring the halls at Wizards of the Coast discussing things Dungeons & Dragons. We're glad to welcome him and thrilled he's joining us for our podcast when we can ask him about Finn's hat, Jake's cooking prowess, and the magical land of Ooh. Pendleton, it's great to have you here in our offices. Too Thanks. bad you can't tell us about the exciting things you're working on. That's our manager all of us in the room to yeah, not talk about all the exciting things. Here. Apparently they're very exciting though. Yeah, well that makes it cooler is that I can't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> There's a secret name for it. Can I say the name for it? Dust. Ooh. Oh my god. You just gave everything yeah. away. I know exactly Code what names. you're doing. <laughs> Um, so, no, it is. We're very excited to have you here, of course. But did has Wizards of the Coast, when you came to our building, has it met your expectations of what? Like, did, did you think it did would be like underground or <laughs> cubicle walls? Did you know? Did you expect cubicles and and printers? I didn't know what to expect. I took a photo of the the sign. They were right. stoked. It's good. And Mitzi, I'm sure you met Mitzi. That's the dragon. dragon. I didn't meet Mitzi. Hmm. I walked by Mitzi. She's shy. Oh. She doesn't oh. talk to everybody. Oh. But that's awesome. Yeah, I was stoked. I mean, the thing that impressed me were the slowly uh, changing color lights in the hallway. Oh. Which I thought was magical. I thought those were magical. <laughs> I like those too, I think, I think that's better than the psychedelic phrase people use to describe it sometimes. Well, like, this is not supposed to be drugs. This is supposed to be magical do people. Do you remember the f when we moved into this building on the very first day, we came off the elevators and they hadn't quite had the lights working properly, and they were going really, really fast. Yeah. Like, dur, 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 and everybody was like, oh, God. There are also, also days when it was like just red. 
And you come down, like, this is not that, really boating well. Those are bad my days. <laughs> well, we hope you're enjoying yourself here. Yeah, very much. A magical very corporatism. to be here. Yes, the magical corporate enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> so we love finding out about uh, folks' first introduction to Dungeons & Dragons. I'm, all of our questions apparently are leading right back to us. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not <laughs> thank, thank you for coming. Now let's talk now about let's, us. Let's talk about <laughs> us. So, uh, if you remember your first introduction to D and D, how did that uh, entail? Uh, I don't remember my first introduction. I was too small. I was too young to remember it. I, don't, I, I only have like vague, cloudy memories of of when I was playing. Um, my dungeon master was named uh, Danny Matusis. It was awesome. You remember that? Uh, and. Uh, when we played, like he was just making up everything. We were all making up everything. We barely understood anything that was happening. Um, the main thing I remember is I opened a chest and I found ten rings, and each ring did something unique and magical. And one of them controlled a legion of flying pigs. Oh, that's awesome! Uh, which rocked my world when I was little. I was, and I think I suggested I was like, "Can this one control a legion of flying pigs?" And he said, "Yes." And I was like, "Excellent." Well, did it create flying magical pigs, or like if you happen to come across flying magical pigs, you could control them then? I don't remember the specifics. <laughs> <laughs> that second one's great. As soon as you find some flying magical soon, pigs, yeah, they're yours, man. They are Chris all Perkins yours. Chris Perkins might steal that for the next. I just might. Yeah. I just might. <laughs> it needs to go in dust now. <laughs> oh, okay. Dust. I totally get the premise. Now. <laughs> Bacon. Bacon and pancakes. So have you had a chance oh, to play from uh, from those early days? Have you had a chance to play a little later on in life? Did you continue sort oh, yeah. of gaming? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I started playing after college again more more uh, more often. Um, with uh, Riley Swift was my new DM, and he was a radical dude. His son is named Arrow Merlin Swift. What? Wow. Um, he What's made a, a rad YouTube series name? called Dungeon Majesties. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, so he, yeah, he's awesome. You know that. that. I think they won one of our film yeah, contests. They did. Yep. I yeah. was looking at some other stuff last week. Yeah. Actually. Yep. They um, did a great video for D and D a couple of years yeah. ago. He uh, he's a badass. He would play. He would be DMing with his son. Uh, I don't know how to describe this so that people can't see my arm, but he's like <laughs> holding his son like a. Like a gauntlet or something like that's on his arm, and he's like, like dungeon, tell, telling us stories, and his son is like all on his arm. Uh, it's like he was, a weird master blaster type of <laughs> moment. Yeah, more like his son is a big hand puppet or something. Yeah, exactly. yeah. His son was just clinging to him yeah. as he was being the best dungeon master you can imagine, where he's just flailing his arms and, and describing the scene and be, you know, role playing an orc falling backwards and. Uh, it was awesome to watch. Some people um, do like the swaddle. Some people, you know, do the swing. Well, other people do this technique. All are great. The five S's. The f- oh, I've seen it. The like six. the little legs dangling <laughs> off near the elbow and the head supported with the hand. You've seen it. You know, yeah. Yeah. it's all yeah. what's going on. I love it. So a little bit about how how you you started playing. Then do you do you have a favorite character that you remember? Uh, my own characters. Yes. Uh, Every I think every time I play, I start a new character. I always they always uh, we either kill them off really fast. For me, the, the funnest part is 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 character creation. Yeah. Uh, so I always try to invent someone new, and I forget all of them in the past. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, last for about fifteen minutes, and then he's on to the next one, folks. Love uh, him Boople Skitter Boots was a gnome that I had for a while. Very um, nomey name. I like yeah. this. It's mm-hmm. a very nomey name. 
I like uh, a Fifi nomenclature. characters. Oh my God. Fifi who? Fifi uh, types. I like um, being sneaky. Oh yeah. Uh, my favorite thing is is using the environment uh, in every dungeon, and so I'll carry tables for way too through way too many rooms. Like if there's one table in a room, I'm like I'm picking it up. And I'm going to take it with me, and I'm going to use it for cover, or I'm going to th- set it on fire in three three rooms later and throw it at somebody. They do make the largest shields. I mean, it's a big round yeah, table. It's like, I I'm just going to hide behind the table. I'm Bart, pretty sure. If like Bart sees a bookshelf in a room, he has to knock it over, yeah. no matter what. Yeah. I usually want to climb it so uh, I can jump onto somebody from a bookshelf. Not not in-game, though. Just <laughs> no, oh, yeah. oh, we were talking about in-game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, no, no, that's, yeah. just in general. I'm pretty sure in Chris Perkins' game, uh, Matt Smith kicked over a table every time there was a table in a room. Some people so. Yeah. I like that. Hey, it was awesome. I'm glad someone did it. So you said you you like the character creation part and has of D and D. Yeah. Me too. Um, but uh, has any of that your creating characters for D and D for much of your life has any of that come into play in your professional life? Like how you've come to create the characters that you work with now? Yeah. I mean. Uh, when I when I was when I'm writing on Adventure Time. Uh, and I'm also writing stories to play, like tr- trying to. I was trying to write my own campaigns to to DM games, and I was like, Ugh, I just and I just I had to use it for Adventure Time because it was take it was. I have to put so much energy into writing Adventure Time that I couldn't write fantasy outside of it. Like all of it needed to go into the show, and so I would write campaigns and be like, I want to um, use this with my to run the game with my players, but. I need to put it into the show, and so I can't run the game because it's going to spoil everything when I use it for the show. And <laughs> that is that is um, that is the well on my side. I think it's like the best creative problem. It's like, hey guys, I'm yeah. sorry I can't run that D and D campaign for you, but that that we think we just watched that was going to be it. So just happen. so just so yeah. you know, that was that was you you, you were going to be cool, but now you're not. Do you have a preference being the player or being the guy behind the screen? I like being a player better. Oh. It's more fun. I like because it's uh, it's relaxing to be a player. <laughs> um, I can show, show up uh, <laughs> and destroy everything that the DMs uh, put together. You know, crafted, carefully put together, and um, yeah, it's exciting. I like being a player. I like main, the main thing I like playing D and D most of the time is watching everyone else play it. Because yeah. um, I have groups of people that are, are wild bards, you know, and they'll sing songs. Uh, uh, some of the people that I play with. Uh, or people that scream at goblins to like get on their knees before them, and if, uh, I usually bring a like paints with me, and I'll just sit and quietly paint. I'm usually a thief because I can lurk in the shadows and not say anything. And that's like role playing a thief is really easy. Um, <laughs> just jump so, out and stab when you need to. Yeah, and then I'll do that, and I'll just quietly sit there and hang out while everyone else does wild stuff around me. That's super fun. <laughs> well, we talked about you know not being able to run your ideas because you have to put them in Adventure Time. Are there any Adventure Time things that have come up that actually are stuff that you took from games you were playing in? Like, oh, that was a cool story. I'm going to put it in Adventure Time now. Yeah, one, one really specific thing. It really only happened one time, I think, was this. Uh, we, had some Valk- we found some Valkyrie armor in a game, uh, and, the, uh, and it was ladies' armor, and we, didn't, we were too embarrassed to put it on <laughs> all the dudes who were playing this one game of D&D, except one guy. It was Pat. My friend Pat McHale, mm-hmm. he put it on, and, and it gave you flying ability, and so he was flying all around in this armor for, for ladies. And then we put that in the show, and Jake uses it, I think, in one episode where he puts on the Valkyrie armor because he's not embarrassed. Yeah, he's the only one who's not embarrassed, I think. So he's uh, embarrassed by very little. Yeah, but that's some, yeah, that's a good matter. trait to have. Put on that yes, Valkyrie armor. That's a good skill to have. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
D&D, 40 years now. Celebrated our 40th anniversary last year. Um, it's a long time for any game to be still this strong. What is it about D&D in your mind that you think people are, are still gravitating towards or why so generations... You can do anything you want. <laughs> it's the best game in the world. You can do absolutely right anything that you want if you can if you got the stats. If you can dream it, you can do it. <laughs> and if your DM... And if your dungeon master says you can. And if your DM's not a jerk. <laughs> Sorry for all you jerk DMs out there. <laughs> so you are going to... Have you had a chance to play the game on this visit to Wizards of the Coast? I know there's a game coming up on Friday. Chris, make it happen. That, uh, it's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, place. I'm going to play on, play on, game on game. Friday. Yeah, that's it. Who's that's DMing that game? Jefferson. Okay. Jefferson Je- Guess who's awesome. in he's his game. He's going to be playtesting top oh, secret this, stuff, so too. This, this, is our, this is our super secret. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm envious. There were spots. We just uh, took them. Yeah, I just didn't, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to put like everybody on the brand team at one table. So I was like, I'll do a different table. It's not. I was just yes. Yeah. So have, have you had a chance to play the current edition yet, or is this going to be your first foray? Yeah, couple, oh, you have times, already? Yeah. Okay, great. All, yes. all rogues, right? You've made like seven rogues. <laughs> I did play a rogue. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> wrong with that. Play be a rogue on Friday if you want. Yeah. Cool. Yep. I'm going to ask this question. Do it. Because it's not on the list, just so you know. Uh-oh. 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 We're going off the rails here. So people. let's assume that you got all the time, all the money in the world. What would you do if you had to make a D&D cartoon? Had to make? Got, got to. We're allowed to. It was like, hey, hey, this isn't a job off of people out there. I'm sorry if, if you think that's what I'm doing. No, I'm just, I'm really curious what Pendleton would do if it was like, hey, make a new D&D cartoon. Go. Uh, well, I had a pitch all, a long time ago called Dungeon Diaries, uh, and it was just about character. It was just, it, it was it's exactly what you want it to be, and it's just people dungeon crawling. Mm-hmm. And then, but my idea had them writing in their journals a lot. So I guess that's a lot different. No, that's uh, awesome. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, it's Dungeons and it was, Dragons meets Twilight. Yeah, it was like love, sto- oh. love stories and dungeon crawling. And, um. <laughs> was the idea that it would be like the same party over and over again, or would you like have different people? Or, um, well, that's a good idea. No, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, no, I'm just trying to. Uh, that sounds good. I mean, when I'm, whenever I would write episodes of Adventure Time, it was fun. Uh, to draw a character walking into a room, and I would I would see everything that I drew in the room, and I would want him to go off and take a certain item. It was I was like play, playing D and D while I was drawing this freeform comic. Yeah, it's like, well, I guess I guess the character's gonna do this now because I say so. I, I would love to yeah. hear that the storyboards for Adventure Time are done on graph paper, D and D math. So I'll, I'll I'll hold that illusion in my mind. Sure. <laughs> I, well, for your show, it sounds like uh, yeah, you could just definitely change up the love triangles as people in the party get killed off, you know, in the course of the adventure. Like, I was kind of thinking like the old liquid television stuff too, where it was like, like people would die, like Aeon Flux originally, right? Mm-hmm. Like she would die, and then she would be back in the next episode. It's like you just have parties constantly dying. It's like the diaries are just things you find. <laughs> like the next adventurer finds the diaries, like I should probably keep a diary too. Makes a little entry in the same diary. Sorry, I was <laughs> I was just running with his idea. <laughs> Sounds good. Make it, man. Oh, yeah. If I could totally do any kind of artistic thing, I would be all over it. (laughs) So we've heard that D&D is like a secret handshake in Hollywood. Can you verify or deny any of those rumors that people in Hollywood are... There's uh, 
uh, creative types out there uh, working who they're making, obscure they're making cartoons or they're making comics or they're doing creative work and they're secretly D&D players and we know it. And then other uh, D&D players know it too. Yeah. No, absolutely. There's none of that. None of that. Nobody plays D&D in Hollywood. No. We don't talk about secret D&D club names. in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> don't want names. I went, I walked into a bar one time and I saw two dudes wearing black t-shirts. Uh, and I said, do y'all play D&D? And they were like, yeah, 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 we do. <laughs> they were just plain I just black. Had, I just had my, I just, my radar went off. Okay. My D&D yeah. dar. D&D dar. Awesome. What did you call that D&D dar earlier? D&D dar. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think, I, I don't, I'm not sure that's a, a phrase we should coin. It doesn't sound that great. No, no not really. <laughs> we're going to a different word for that. It's not me at my finest. Yeah. It's so okay. You got to throw stuff out there. We've been uh, obviously uh, excited to hear the D&D. Had, had some influence, some helpful influence, hopefully in Adventure Time. So that's, that's always nice to hear. Yeah, man. Well, D&D, like the people that I know who work in the animation industry who play D&D, it's, it just like saves them. And I, everyone I know who plays D&D really just like saves their week because it's, it's the best way to relax and have fun with your friends and hang out. Uh, and for sure, um, I mean, if anything, D&D probably hurt Adventure Time because I would try and get out of work early to go play D&D <laughs> uh, sometimes because uh, like I'd be editing into the evening, the end of an episode, and then like it takes hours to edit. I'd be like, oh, okay, well, uh, let's just well, we'll take a shortcut here and cut these two things together, and <laughs> it's, it's uh, that little work. I, I really got to go. <laughs> got to play uh, my rogue. That's right, folks. So you know those adventure, uh, those adventure time episodes that weren't that amazing. It's our, it's our fault. Yeah, just all, so you know, they were all amazing. Yeah, just more amazing. Than any, any problems you had? Clearly, D&D's fault. <laughs> outside of D and D, not that we don't love hearing that because we do, um, but outside of D and D, are there other? stories or movies or, or books or anything happening in, in current media that sort of excites you at the moment might not necessarily influence your work but that's just sort of uh sparking things in your own creative mind tripping your inner geek yeah um i don't know the only thing i can think of right now is i'm playing a, a roguelike game called catacomb kids which is very much like D and D dungeon crawling, mm -hmm. uh, with this random character generation, and that's I'm having fun playing that right now. A board game, role playing game? It's on Steam. It's okay. a computer game. Ah, yeah. It's like not finished yet, and so there's problems with it. it's green light, Steam green light. <laughs> uh, but it's fun to play. I'm pretty sure we're gonna see a boost in Catacomb Kid sales right now. Just so you know. What's <laughs> Earlier today, Pendleton and I were talking about uh, Gamma World and just mm. reflecting on some of the old oh, game, man. other old games from uh, the history of TSR and Wizards and character creation and uh, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I was a I was a broccoli swarm with a. It was a broccoli tornado with uh, <laughs> two machetes made out of stop signs, folded over stop signs. Yeah. I yeah. love it. The Gamma World was good stuff. The random character creation stuff. Anytime we, we throw in the random character creation like you do for Gamma, Gamma World, I love it. I do it also, it makes for that expendable character, too, that you're talking about. Like, I just made this really cool character, and I made an idea for him, and then a week later, I, I made I, another one. So I'm, I'm very excited to play with him this session and this session only. <laughs> yeah. Next session, I'm going to be just as excited to make something brand new. Every, yeah. every once in a while, it's something that sticks and you want to do more of, but... We were just talking to Rich Baker on uh, on Skype, who was one of the designers, might have been the lead designer on uh, the last iteration of Gamma World, mm -hmm. but we did not quite uh, delve into that. But yeah, always that that's a great system for for making characters. Yes. Well, some of the the tables in the the new edition kind of remind me of you know, like oh, yeah. when you can 
A lot of randomness. The backgrounds. I love the backgrounds. Yeah, I love you know the trinkets the and trinkets. all the all the random stuff for for DMs too. Like like the actual creating a dungeon. Kind of like creating like a campaign dungeon. It works out super, super well because you get this. You build it, and then you have ideas for why the villain's there because you can build the villain as well and, and place him in there and all this kind of stuff. And the random tables work really, really well. Especially like I've got thirty minutes to make some stuff. Right. Go. Or if you're hard pressed to find an identity for your halfling wizard or whatever, mm -hmm. the, there's lots of devices in the game now that can help you customize that guy and make him a little bit quirky. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about Dungeons and Dragons. Um, if you don't mind, I, I would like to ask uh, yeah. a bit about Adventure Time. I, I know we like to sort of present the inside the halls of D&D when we can and how the various products and, and things are made. Would you be able to maybe walk through uh, in an abbreviated way how an episode of Adventure Time is put together? Uh, is it uh, conceived, uh, you know, just from whole cloth? And, and how does it sort of progress? Um, yeah, process. Uh, we just, I don't know, it's hard to say it quickly and in a non-boring way. We <laughs> we sit in a room and we write, yeah, and then we get this sheet, like we get an outline together and we give that to the storyboard artists. Mm -hmm. Adventure Time is a storyboard-driven show, which means the storyboard artists write and draw all the jokes. They're the pillars behind awesome. what's good about an episode um, because they're behind the whole story. Um, uh, and they write and draw everything and... They, that takes four weeks, and then the, from start to finish, it's uh, nine months. Um, yeah. For, the, for nine for months one episode, for an episode. Yeah. But you, you work on multiple episodes oh, at yeah, a time? Oh, yeah, they're all layered. Yeah, we start Otherwise, one episode every... Before we saw another season. We, <laughs> every week, we, our week, we start a new episode. Yeah. Cycle. Yeah. Well, this might be one of those questions you get asked a lot. But, I mean, it does take a while because it's a hand-drawn animation yeah. series. Is there a particular yeah. reason you went in, in that particular... Uh, avenue as opposed to something that, that might lend itself to, to uh, a quicker version, but this allows you other benefits? I just, it's, yeah, it's just what I like to mm -hmm. see and do and draw. That's what I'm used to, is drawing traditionally and animating traditionally. Um, yeah, that's all. It's just, it's aesthetically pleasing to me. That's the style that we went with. I like that answer. It's like, because I like it. Yep. Hey. <laughs> Done. <laughs> and I guess if the network is, is cool with that, then hey, that's, that's what uh, you're... Yeah, I mean, every, every style has uh, terrible things. Like, like take, take a long time to do, to do everything right. And um, the, one style more than another isn't really more or less ex expensive. Uh, so it wasn't really a, a choice like that. It was just like, what do you want to make? Mm -hmm. I want to do this. This is the style that I like. Yeah. Now you do a number of voices as well. Is, is voice acting something that you like doing or do you see it as more like, I'm just going to do it because yeah. it needs to get done and... Uh, a little bit, little bit of both. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, it's, it's, voice acting is really difficult. To, to sound like a genuine person saying something that was written for you is ridiculous, uh, and I can't do it really. I can, I, Lumpy Space Princess. She, uh, I just, I can just scream really loud <laughs> yeah. with her, and if you scream loud enough, it covers up any non-genuine thing that you're saying. I think if you just scream as loud as possible, so that's what I try to do most of the time is just scream really loud. I know Chris Perkins is actually very good at this. Do you, do you get any experience at the D&D table as the dungeon master? Like, I'm going to try out a new voice for a new character, and we'll just yeah. see how it goes. I don't, man. I can't do it. I can't role play easily in front of other people. It's hard. I'm, uh, that's why I do the, the rogue, rogue types, because mm. so you don't have to say anything. It's tough. Like, I, I, it takes me a few sessions before I can actually role play my character. Because, like, okay, I'm comfortable with everybody else having role played a lot. 
I can sit there and try to be a little bit of a goof now. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Good. Thanks, everybody. But no, Chris, like, yeah, he was, I asked him what he, what he was doing to prepare for the game for the PAX East. And he's like, not much. I spent, a, I spent like most of my time on the plane going through the voices that I was going to do. And that was, that was the thing that he talked about doing. And we all heard the voices. So they were, they were quite, quite well, quite well done. That'd be awesome if you were really doing the voices on the plane. <laughs> if you were that guy sitting there like, talking ah, to himself. <laughs> <laughs> nobody would call an air marshal, I'm sure. Well, no. <laughs> well Chris, you're here. Why, why, why do you, is there a reason you prefer doing the voices? Is, there, is it just a, an aesthetic choice you like as a dungeon master? Is it difficult for you to, you know, have the, the gumption to throw out a bunch of weird voices and, and see what happens? Very difficult. Yes, it's never easy. Um, and so when I'm out walking my dog, I practice when I think nobody else is around. So you know those people so, that you... But, then, that you but f- then it doesn't really make much sense because whenever I hear myself, I don't sound at all like what I think I sound like. <laughs> so... It being recorded is, a, is this another level of yes. stress. Like I, yes. when I'm pitching something, it's easy for me to get into character and I'll go all out and scream and do anything to sell an idea in a room full of people that are just watching me talk and point at storyboards on the wall. But when I'm recording in the recording booth, it's it's a whole other thing. Pressure. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's but you not... also do stand-up, don't you? No. I did it. I, try, I tried it a couple times, mm-hmm. um, and I never want to do it. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, that's if pressure you cooker. didn't do that. That's then... pressure cooker. Uh, I had, I th- it was fun to do it. I, I get caught up in... Anxiety, I guess. I, I, to, cannot, yeah. Yeah. I, I can't think of a more difficult that. thing than being on stage with a microphone and everyone is listening to Hoping that you fail. I'm the person that laughs no matter what. I still want to try and do it as just a challenge for myself because I want to be able to get over that, that weird shame because uh, it shouldn't be there. We should be able to do say things in front of people. It's not yeah. a big deal. Yeah. Um, especially if everyone's having a good time saying something funny. It's not that big of a deal, but for some reason... Well, when uh, I go in, when I start playing D and D, and I'm in a D and D game, and I'm DMing, I sort of fall into a zone. Um, and when I'm in the DM zone, the whole world just sort of falls away, and any inhibitions about voices just disappears. And then, as soon as the game stops, it's like total fear again. Mm-hmm. And you can see it in him too. The great thing, and actually, the PAX yeah, if you've Live. You've ever game, seen me backstage yeah. before a PAX Live game? Oh my god, I'm just yeah. a fucking basket but then, case. But then you sit down and you just go, <laughs> and you, you're amazing. And, you never and, know. Yeah. Well, even even at the like the home games that we had here in the office, it was the same kind of thing. You could see that Chris was in a certain spot because he's playing like four or five different people at once. Like you're having a conversation with yeah. these two villains and these other two right. people, and he's like, he's and and I think I, there's a lot of good DMs in the office. I just I'm, I'm I put him on I put Chris on a little pedestal. Like five minutes before the live game, they're like, Chris, you okay? I'm just like, I peed myself. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose my theory on that is, as a species, we've gotten as far as we have because we were good at hiding from bigger predators. Uh-huh. So to be on stage just exposed seems just counter to our 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 nature of needing safety. Yeah. So the guys that can do it and and, and like to do it. I don't understand. It boggles my mind. But like when the show begins, it's like all deal, all deals are off. It's all just craziness, and I have no problems whatsoever. But do you watch the games after? Can you watch yourself? Yes, I can watch myself. That's how we do Pendleton. But I just detach myself. It's not like I'm watching me. I'm just watching some guy no. doing what I do. Yeah, I can't detach myself from myself. I can detach myself from my work. Like if I like my cartoons are screening, like that's not me. They can laugh at that or hate it, and it's not. They're not hating me. For some reason, I'm able to do that, but I can't do it when it's my face. 
Gotta get you up in front How of you. How do you do that, man? Talk more about that. <laughs> <laughs> tell us. Tell us the secrets. That uh, is interesting, though. You can detach yourself from your work. Yeah. Yeah. Like when, when, some I, people when I see myself, I, my mind just thinks, oh, there's a guy who looks just like me. He's kind of kind of sucky, but, you know, <laughs> he, he could do that better. He could do that better. He could do that better. I'm, and it doesn't, it doesn't strike me personally. It just it never has. You might have a, a dissociative disorder, sir. I'm sorry. I'm it's possible. <laughs> I may also be sociopathic. Uh, no, no. I'm jealous, man, because that, that's something that yeah. uh, I'd like to have. Well, he also yeah. gets up there with a whole bunch of other people. So if, like, we could get, if you got in front of people with a whole bunch of other people, you could be like, I'm going to hide behind these other people that are... He that is can't hide, though. He's well, like the number one guy up well, there. Well, kind of. Like, Chris yeah. will say something, and then the table will go off for like 15 minutes, and then Chris says something again. So he can, he can sometimes sit back and let the table run itself for a bit. Sometimes, yeah. Absolutely. Other times he has to corral them like kittens. Yeah. I actually like I actually like it in a game when the players kind of take over. Yeah. And and as a DM, I can just sit back and wait for some of the someone to say something that I can then leap off from. Yeah. Well, there's what? that level of improv too. Right. You know, or they might say something. I'll go. Oh, I never thought of that. Uh -huh. I'm going to change my whole view here and use that against <laughs> them. How how important has, has like an improv ability been in, in your creative career as well? Like I know you guys are coming up with stories as a group, a storyboard and everything like that. But it's like the stuff you're, you're talking and people improv a thing while they're creating, and it's just is that how it works? Is there a lot of improv while you guys are putting that stuff together? Improv. Well, I don't know about uh, impro improv. Just like yeah. randomly coming up with ideas that like weren't planned well, as you guys are storyboarding. Yeah, improvising. I mean, I don't know. I think so, like writing is improvising dialogue. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. So if if we're using improv like that, then we're doing it all the time. Um, and sometimes lines are improv uh, in the recording booth when characters come in uh, and they have ideas. They will say them, but more more often than not, it's it's just by the script that we write. Do you um, do you have an ending in mind usually, or do you just sort of work toward? Um, you just sort of. Work until an ending finds itself. We've, I mean, we come up with outlines, structured outlines yeah. that we then give to the storyboard artists. So they have a, a arc for all the characters before okay. they start, and they have those endings for every episode. But then it changes. Sometimes everything can change entirely. Like depending on what the storyboard okay. artists want to do, yeah. um, they can come up with their own new ideas and 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 pitch them to the directors and change everything completely uh, if they have a cooler idea. Um, yeah, we put a lot of. Our, our storyboard artists are super, super talented, brilliant people. Uh, so it's fun to let them do whatever they want to do. <laughs> if it, you know, it all falls under the the umbrella that we created. And I want to create. World. An, oh, sorry. Yeah. And I want to create a, an adventure in a storyboard method, like yeah, you're talking that'd about. Yeah, cool. Let's let's make that happen. Is that what's happening with us? Is that actually how you guys are doing it? Just to. We're just sort of fumbling along right now. <laughs> we're, we're we're brainstorming ideas. We're we're figuring out what's happening in the story. We're talking about uh, what are the possibilities, directions that the story can go. What cool characters can this story either kind of uh, bring out of the woodwork? Talking or dogs. Talking oh. dogs. There are no bad ideas unless they come from Shelley. <laughs> <laughs> so we're right now. Right now we're exploring the space. There we go. And yes. we're yes, we're looking to see uh, what cool things we can put in there that feel very true to D and D, but are going to sort of be defining elements of this story. Code word dust. Dust. Code word dust. Yeah, we give, for those who don't know, we give code words to all of our story seasons. And each story season is a collection of D&D uh, &D experiences that might be um, in print or they might be digital 
and they're all sort of thematically tied to the one story. Tyranny of Dragons was a story season for us. Uh, Elemental Evil was a story season for us. Um, and uh, <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not, and, and Shelly just punched me in the face. We, we, we could use its code name too. It's not, yes. it's, it's not as, it's not as evocative to me. But. Well, no. We have code okay. na- we have code names for every th- every of uh, every one of the and other stories after that. And they have nothing to do with and they the have project. Typically not. Yeah, well, <laughs> typically not. What were the code names for? I can't remember. Uh, we used, uh, we, did we use Shakespeare Tyranny. stuff for those, or did we do something else? Honestly, I can't remember. Uh, it's not important. Yeah. Okay. It is. Uh, it's <laughs> awesome. This we is even, super exciting. We, we even disagreed. We even disagreed internally yes. about what the code name should be. I think is how that that went. Right. Yes. Um, uh, but yeah, the code names are are usually uh, arbitrary. Uh, and they're supposed to be easy to remember, and different enough from one another that you can't confuse them. Yeah, um, they confuse me all the time, regardless. I, yeah, I, well, you work pretty far out, so we're trying. We're trying to get far farther ahead in our stories. We're trying to get farther ahead in our product development, and we're trying to um, tap into sort of a magic combination of new stuff and nostalgia. Can I say the code name of another one that I heard of? Yeah, sure. Cloak. Cloak. Oh, yeah. Yes. Pretty cool. Yeah. And that's all we'll reveal today. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to start saying words and then going ooh afterwards. And I just came up with, I came up with two new code names for, for future stories down the road. One is Scimitar. Oh, there you go. Okay. And the other one is Dawn. I, so I can't really I can't really imagine what that one might be. So you're not to, supposed uh, to be able to uh, imagine uh, what okay. that one might be. <laughs> we'll have to ask afterwards. Milo. Well, on that note of revealing little, uh, <laughs> uh, Pendleton, we'd we'd uh, very much like to thank you for your time on the podcast Thanks. today, and and we hope that you continue to have a uh, exceptional visit here at Wizards of the Coast. We're we're excited to have you, and and uh, we hope our magical corporate environment is. Uh, <laughs> It's <laughs> inspiring and welcoming. This is a dream come true. I'm so very, very happy to be here and working on a code name. <laughs> it's, I'm super pumped. It's awesome yeah. to be we, here. We actually brought Pendleton, Pendleton in to develop code names, <laughs> if, yeah. that, if that wasn't clear from how this ended. That would be fun. Secret and so, stuff. And so uh, what are you going to do like uh, later tonight when you're... Um, I'm going to be drawing... Dungeons. Yeah, <laughs> sweet for this code name. Yes, you you and uh, a good percentage of this company will be yeah. Yeah. drawing dungeons. <laughs> we've, we've, we've given too many spoilers. They now know there are dungeons and whatever this oh is. My <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! It's that? only it's Dragons? only it's Dun- only in the name of the game, I guess. Right. Yes. <laughs> well, well, again, thanks a lot for uh, joining us, Pendleton. We thanks. appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. It was great. Yeah. Do you appreciate my time? Oh, Never. Uh, having you yeah. talk yeah. on my microphone. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yes. Uh, on behalf of uh, Shelley Mazenoble and Trevor Kidd, we definitely appreciate your participation as well, Mr. Perkins. Thanks. <laughs> As always, thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons podcast. The Elemental Evil campaign is currently underway, with Princes of the Apocalypse available now at your friendly local gaming store. Richard Baker blogs at richard-baker.blogspot.com. Adventure Time airs on the Cartoon Network, with episodes available online and also through Amazon and Google Play. You can download the Dungeons & Dragons podcast from the D&D website, dungeonsanddragons.com, under the media section, or subscribe directly from iTunes.